Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard.
Welcome again to our program this morning called The Three Angels Message. We're coming to you live on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. And first, we'd like to say thank you to to everyone uh, tuning in this morning. And uh, if you're on your way to work or home, thank you for tuning in this morning. And we have to praise the Lord for His many blessings upon our program and also people tuning in this morning. Thank you to to those who are just happen to be here to tune in this morning. Uh, if you're from Auckland, uh, if you're from Hastings, Hawks Bay, that way, uh, tuning in this morning, thank you for making this moment to tune into our program this morning. Um, let me read our text this morning. you find that in the book of Revelations, Chapter 14, verses 6 to 
10, I think, as, as it reads. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone who worships the, the beast and his image and receive his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be terminated with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and to the Lamb. That's our reading this morning. You find that in Revelation 14, chapter 6 to 10. Friends, our, um, our topic this morning or our message this morning says, knowing the truth is not sufficient. And our pastor this morning is Pastor Brian and they, but before we go into our message this morning, I'd like to say kia ora to all our Kukaran people. Hopefully they're still listening this morning. Kia ora ki koto katoa toa e honono mene da tatu program i te pōpongi te karanga i e te karere atanga angera e toru. Arutune, nanunga da tatu ratio, access ratio e ta i e kare ono, topa ta tai FM. I mua karaka e rutu e tatu, ki rutu i tō tatu mana koe te pōpongi te ako noe no tatu, ka tato tō te tai Irofano tato, akamaruri tato, iroto ito tato, tia program e karanga iena e te karere atanga angere e toru. Ka kita mai tato te rere iroto ito pukai apu karupo e te pene tengoru maa irofano e taiwatu te irofano tengoru te karanga nei. Akaratu rau te tai angere e te rere anga naruto pū i te marewa nei. Ma te ewangiria mutu kore e tutu ki te aronga e noo i te ao nei. Ki te paha inua katoa, e te au kopu, e te au reo, e te au ititangata. I te nākoanga materiao māta, ka mataku i te atua, e a ka kakai aia, ko taioke ki te ora kautunga anga nāna. E a ka muri kotou i aia, i te anga i te rangi, e te inua, e te tai, e te au ai puipuiara. Waru maira te tai angere muningao i te nākoanga e, kua inga, Kua inga tau oire maatara ko papuronia. No te mea, ua kainu aie i te pāinu arawarae i te vina i te riri o tāna akaturi. Waru maera te tokotoru o te angera i arawa ma te kapiki uatu te reo maata. Ko te akamori i te puaka tāai e tōna tutu e te āriki i te akairo ki tōna rae e kari ki te rima Ka inu ai e te vina o te riri o te atuara. Ko te riringia ma te irokore ki roto i te kapuriri nana. E akamamai ia ai i te ai e te iho ki mua i te aroaro o te au angera tapura e ki mua 
itiaroro o te puno mamoya. Tato ira wotra ita tautura ono to mea eh ala ki te tautia ira wa ruto ite apu karu po te pinete mar ma ati ira wot ono ita wot ira wot ono to mea ko te ko te turanga ye o teia program te karanga ye te kareri atanga angera e toru teo te ki kyorano kyorano ko to kato to to tato ormitu kato to i ponike nei puriru opera ko to i lowat kyorano ki ko to e pera ko to 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 prepare Tungutuare e perakoto takoto ekari sia e tsekinei i roto i te ietu ato pangatatato ere nei. Kia ora ana te au akonongora i tu katoto i poneke, porirua, e perakoto i matoi rauati. Tauturumai te tuai kotou, orongumai te marama te ki te te pakari no tatou i roto i to tatou oranga kiritiano. Kia ora ana tō tātou teke no wā o mai ponike, me no Auckland mai koe, me no Hawkspay mai koe, me no Hastings o South Island mai koe, i tapa mai kuro tupu ia mātou i tia tātou anu anu, tātou matangi, kia ora ana ki kotou. O o te kākou mānana i tia popongi nei, me o ki atu, apai atu tō mātou aroa kiritiano ki tia o family, me kore tia o teke, tanga e nō rira mai kotou. Tia o teke tō tātou mana koe tia popongi, Tō tātou orumitu ko Pastor Brian Day e tōna mana koe rūtu te reo pōrena te karangaroke Knowing the truth is not sufficient Tō tātou mana koe tā nā o rea te teke uri atu tō tātou reo Marila, akonongonongo mai tō tātou mana koe no te pōpongi Yaka maruru i tātou i rūtu i tō tātou oranga kiriti tiano Friends, we are going to go into our message this morning and the message is, knowing the truth is not sufficient. Three ABN Worship Hour. This is where we dive deep into the Word of God and we take on some of the topics, some of the content, some of the Bible uh, passages and information that we need in these last days to help us be drawn closer to Jesus Christ. And as you know, this is a worship hour. And when we are worshiping Him, the Bible says we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I just want to formally welcome you and thank you for joining us during this time. We are certainly going to uplift Jesus today. We're going to dive deep into His word as we're going to pray in a moment for the Holy Spirit to lead us to rightly divide his word of truth because today we have a very special message. It's kind of an acronym as you can see on the screen in the back in just a moment. BVDG, it stands for Blind Visionaries and Dumb Geniuses. And I have there in parentheses uh, Deaf Listeners. It's quite an interesting topic, but I come up with interesting topics because I want it to grab your attention. And I promise you this blind visionaries, dumb geniuses. There's a purpose to this title because it talks a little bit or it testifies to the fact of what we're going to be talking about today that is found in scripture. And so before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to lead and guide us through this time together. Our father in heaven, Lord, as always, we are privileged and honored to be alive during these times to be here where we are, where you have brought us at this moment. And Lord, it's such an honor to be able to stand here today and worship you, Lord, because you are worthy. You are good to us. You love us and you take care of us when we don't deserve it. And so, Father, we're asking today that as we open your word, 
Give us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Lord, to lead and guide us in this study, that every scripture, every passage that we read, may it not just be text on a page, but may it speak to our heart and draw us closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, this is a time in which we need revival, and this is a message calling us to revival. And so, Lord, wake us up. Impart in us and give us, Lord, your love so that we can see as you see, hear as you hear, understand as you understand, Lord, and love as you love. We praise you and we thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Blind visionaries and dumb geniuses. It was many years ago that I find myself making a transition from one church denomination to another or from one faithful aspect and ideology of living to another. You see, I haven't always been a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. I was primarily for the majority of my life born and raised into the Oneness Apostolic Pentecostal Church. It is the most conservative, in fact, you could even say the most ultra-conservative form of Pentecostalism, charismatic Pentecostalism that there is. And I was raised in this for more than 20 years of my life. But it's very interesting that at one point in my life, I was absolutely 100% convinced that the faith that I was in, the path that I was taking, the information that I had been taught, the doctrines and the, the principles of faith and the different tenets, theological tenets that I had been, uh, that I had received and it had been bestowed upon me as a youth growing up, I believed that all of those were 100% accurate and that there was no other truth to be known until one day that the Lord opened my eyes because there came a point in my life where I simply became honest with myself and I simply said, Lord, if there's something that I'm missing, if there's something that I can't see, Lord, open my eyes that I can see. Give me the spiritual ear because all through the Bible, especially through the book of Revelation, we hear the message echoed so loudly. Those who have ears, let this, listen and let this, listen to the Spirit because the Spirit is telling you something, right? The Spirit is speaking to us. And so very clearly, I'm saying, Lord, give me the spiritual hearing that I can hear what the Spirit indeed says to me and to the church. And also I find myself saying, Lord, give me the mind of Christ so that I can examine myself and that you can show me what it is that may not need to be there or that may need to be in my life that I have not adopted or that I have not accepted. And I remember praying that prayer, even though at one time I was 100% convinced I was right. I was in the right faith. I was following God with all my heart, mind, and soul. Jesus brought me out of one way of thinking to another because he opened my eyes. You see, I once was deceived and I was unaware that I was deceived until I had genuinely approached God and said, Lord, show me, awaken me, dial in my spiritual vision. And so I can tell you with absolute certainty that the Lord did that. And I saw the error of what I was in and God basically completely transformed my understanding and my thinking, my approach to living for him, my, my understanding of what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. He took me from being blinded and he opened my eyes and gave me sight. 
I was once in a deaf, a spiritually deaf state, and he opened my ears that I could hear what the Spirit was saying to me. And of course, he opened my mind so that I can perceive and discern his spiritual path for my life. Today, I want to just preach to you today. I want to teach to you today. I want to appeal to you today, my friends, that we are living in a time like no other where deception is the central theme, although it seems. All through the Bible, Old and New Testament, we find very clearly many, many different warnings, signs, and messages where God is simply trying to wake us up and trying to warn us that we should not be deceived, to, to take heed what we hear, to watch what it is that we set before our eyes, and to make sure that we have the spiritual mind of Christ, that we may not be deceived and turned away from the truth. I want to share a few scriptures with you now. We're going to kind of do rapid fire for the next few minutes, but I want to read you. I want to show you how overwhelmingly clear this is. And again, this is not even all the text in the Bible that has to deal with deception. But I want to start in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 8 and 9. Let's go there. Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. That scripture is powerful because what basically God is saying is that there are people out there that's going to come to you and try to speak to you on my behalf. They're going to try to tell you that I'm giving you a message or that I've sent them to deliver a message or perhaps maybe a dream that you might have had or that someone else has had or a vision of some kind that they're saying is from the Lord. What does he say here? He says, do not believe them for they, are, they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. My friends, deception is a key issue throughout the old and new. Testament, but I can say this with, with again, absolute certainty, that if you, if you study the New Testament responsibly and properly, you'll find that this issue of deception amplifies and picks up as you continue in to read the New Text or the New Testament text. In fact, let's go to Matthew chapter 24, because this is within the context of the great Olivet Discourse that Jesus delivers to the disciples atop the Mount of Olives. And the very first words out of his mouth as he's about to deliver this famous, powerful prophetic message. It's his, basically his farewell address to the disciples, telling them about the end times and what is to come and what they can expect and what we can expect before the coming of Jesus. The very first words out of his mouth, Matthew 24, verse 4 and 5, notice what it says. Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive, notice, not a few, but will deceive many. Again, you hear Jesus say this often throughout his time in his ministry. In fact, in that same Olivet Discourse, right there in Matthew 24, if you skip down to verses 24 and 25, notice again what he says. He brings it back up. He says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to, there it is again, to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And then he says, see, I have told you, beforehand. My friends, 
I mean, it can't get any clearer than that from the master of the universe, right? Jesus is saying, look, the ish, one of the major issues in the last days is deception. People are going to be deceived left and right. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, this is a common theme in his writings as he brings it up and up again. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Notice what he says. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So he makes it absolutely clear here. He says, do not be deceived because these type of unrighteous people will not make it into the kingdom of God. He basically echoes this same message over and over throughout his writings. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Notice what the Bible says. Again, Paul writes, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So what we're doing is we're trying to establish the validity of the fact that one of the major themes throughout all the New Testament, and I'm going to even go a step further and say, even in the great prophetic writings that you and I are supposed to study and be aware of and know and, and, in reference to how to prepare for the soon coming of Jesus, this is one of the central themes all throughout the Bible. God is sending a message through his messengers, through his prophets, to warn us that one of the major issues is deception, that it's going to plague not just the world, but as we're going to see in a little bit, even the church in the last days. Let's read another one here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Notice again what Paul writes. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will reap also or that he will also reap. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Notice what Paul writes. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Again and again and again. We see this also in Colossians chapter 2. It says, beware. This is Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. Paul again says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. My friends, did you catch that? Did you see that very clearly? Right there, he says, beware of those who cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. My friends, there are people in this world that fully believe. This is where deception comes in. This is the very art, the very art and the very heart of deception is that people are unaware that they're deceived. In fact, that's the very essence of deception is that they are unaware that they are deceived and many times become a stumbling block for others because with their empty deceits and their wrong and, and, and twisted philosophies, they come and they share things with people in the name of God or under the banner of Christianity and they communicate things and they share things that is simply not of the will of God, that is simply not in harmony with God's word. Of course, we get even deeper into the subject of deceit when we get into the prophecies and into the prophetic writings as we spent a little time in Matthew 24 earlier. Now let's go into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and again read in verse 3 what Paul has to say about this leading antichrist figure of the last days. Notice what he says. He says, Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. 
Again, this is the Lord knocking on the door of our hearts saying, look, don't think yourself too high and mighty that you cannot be deceived. If you're not connected to the vine, if you are not abiding in Jesus Christ, you very well could become a part of those who walk away or drift away from the truth of God's word. And so that's exactly what he's warning. Notice the church at Thessalonica, he's saying there's coming a leading man of sin, this leading antichrist figure who is going to oppose all that God stands for. He's going to exalt himself above the stars of God, right? He's going he's gonna to sit on the throne as if he is God himself declaring that he is God. And in this case, he says, let no one deceive you by any means. Of course, the beloved disciple, John, who also would go on to write the book of Revelation, he writes this in his first letter uh, and found in 1 John chapter 2. This is verse 26. Notice what he says. He's speaking to the church again. He says, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. So even John is writing. He's saying, look, I'm writing these things to you, the contents of this book and the contents of this particular passage. I'm writing it to you to warn you, to inform you, to make you aware, to enlighten you of those that the enemy has sent out for the sole purpose of deceiving you. Even in the book of Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, when John was in vision on the island of Patmos and he saw that great vision of the woman and the, and the child and the dragon, notice, speaking of Satan himself, he writes in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, he says, so the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, who, notice, deceives not just a few, but the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out out with him. My friends, this is vitally, vitally important that we comprehend this message. Because what we're showing here in the opening moments of this message is that we are living in a time when deception is greater than any other time before us. The devil has amplified his works. He has, he has basically multiplied his efforts to try to distract and to try to lure God's people away from the truth all the while believing, while they are believing that they are in Christ. My friends, that's deception. Speaking of that second beast of Revelation chapter 13. Again, the second beast, which we believe to be none other than the United States playing its role in the final events of Bible prophecy. Notice what it says there. Again, because it has been speaking as, the, as a dragon, as just because it's being empowered by the same power that first beast is being empowered by, the devil himself. Notice what Bible prophecy says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 14. It says, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast deceives 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 deception do not be deceived you see this come up over and over and over in fact the word deceive appears more than 70 times in the bible i would say that that's a big deal I would say that that's God's effort trying to reach out to us and say, look, I'm giving you the sign that you can't believe every little thing you see in here. Make sure you're grounded in the truth. As we said earlier, the very essence of deception is that you're unaware that you are deceived, right? I have never met a person who if you were to ask them, hey, are you deceived? That they just openly admit, oh yes, I'm living in a state of deception. I've never met anyone like that. Because everyone who is deceived believes that they're absolutely 100% correct in all aspects of their life, or at least in the aspect of their faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore they believe that they are in no wrong. And that's a scary state, my friends. In fact, I used to be there. 
I know what it, I know what it feels like. It's a scary thing to know that you've been living all your life, the majority of your life, believing one thing. And that one thing that you believe or those series of things that makes up what you believe to be the right faith, only to find out that all that time you were deceived. You weren't living in harmony by the truth of God's word. It's a scary, very eerie feeling to, to know or to feel at one time that you were just absolutely convinced that you were right, when in reality, you were actually not in harmony with the will of God. My friends, that's a very serious thing. In other words, you think you are in the light, but really you are blind to the fact that you are walking in darkness. You think that you know what's right, when in reality you are completely oblivious to the truth. And let me tell you something, as I'm speaking these words right now, there's probably someone at home or somewhere, wherever you are around the world watching this, and you're probably saying to yourself, well, Ryan, all of those things, of course, pertain to the world because the world is lost and the world is deceived. But my friends, make no mistake about it. When you study the word of God correctly, rightly dividing the word of truth, and you allow God to speak to you from the word, let me tell you something, God does not hide the fact that in the last days, within the ranks of what we consider Christianity or the Christian church, there are many, many people who are aiding to this issue of deception because the devil has made his way in and he has planted his tares. He has planted his deceits. And only those who are connected to the vine of Jesus, only those who are living according to the true word of God are those who see and understand these deceits. In fact, what I would like to continue on with as I would like to look back at Thessalonians, Thessalonians, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. We read this verse earlier, but I want to highlight something very clearly. Again, we're talking about the church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let's look and see what that says again. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, that is the second coming of Jesus, that day will not come, or it shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, what is this verse telling us? Let me highlight this very clearly because this is important. This is a prophetic verse, my friends. This is speaking about the state of the church prior to the second coming of Jesus. In fact, what this verse is telling us is that right before Jesus returns, there's going to be those even in the church who will be taking part in this great falling away that must occur before Jesus returns. Now, what's interesting is when you go and look in the original, I've brought this out before in some of my previous messages, but I want to highlight it again in case there's someone at home that has never heard this before. When you go into the original Greek language and you study out the word that's behind that phrase, falling away, it's the Greek word apostasia. Okay, it sounds familiar, right? Apostasia. It's where we get our English word or our English concept of apostasy. And we know apostasy is very much a strong thing. It's a big issue in the church. We don't want to apostatize at all. We don't want to be a part of apostasy. We want to be in the light of Jesus Christ. But when you look up what that word apostasia means in the original Greek, it simply means a defection or turning away from the truth. And a secondary definition to that would mean to divorce. So in other words, what Paul is saying here, what he's revealing prophetically, is before Jesus Christ comes back, there's going to be such a strong state of deception 
that, the, that many of the people have fallen into, that there's going to be a great apostasy to take place in which those in the church, many of those in the church, will fully believe that they're married to Jesus when really they have divorced him. They fully are convinced that they're walking in the truth when really they have rejected the, the, the source of the power, powerful source of the Holy Spirit to continue to cause them to walk in that truth. In other words, they have defected or fallen away or fallen away from the truth, all the while deceived into believing that they're still in God's way. My friends, there is, I can't think of any scarier situation to be in. This is not a message to pull you down. This is not a message to discourage you. This is a message calling for revival and awakeness to awake us to the reality that as we gain closer and closer to the second coming of Jesus, my friends, we are told that the Spirit of God is being withdrawn from this planet. And why is that? Well, we're going to reveal why that is in just a moment. But I'm just telling you right now, we don't need to be pushing the Holy Spirit away from our lives. We need to be inviting the leading, guiding power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because if we have any hope of getting out of here, it's because the Spirit of truth is leading and guiding us because we have humbled ourselves to its guidance. I want to make that very clear. The Spirit of God will lead us unto righteousness if we humble ourselves and allow ourselves to be led by God. So how will the devil bring about this great falling away in the church? How is he going to do it? Well, it's very simple. He's going to attack the truth. And you say, oh, Ryan, that's nothing new. He's, the devil's always been attacking the truth, right? Well, of course he's always been attacking the truth, but he's going to attack the truth in such a way so to cause confusion and division even within the church of God. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time. In what way is he going to attack the truth? He's changing his methods so not to try to completely get rid of the truth, but if he can distort it, twist it, or cause confusion among the ranks of God's people, that confusion will bring about division within the church. And if you have division within your church, oh my goodness, my friends, let me, tell you, let me just remind you what the Bible says about those. We're going to get to some scriptures in a moment about division within God's house. That's not a good thing, but yet it happens to be the reality of what we're talking about today, all because of the enemy. I want to take us now to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 through 3. Talking about the confusion that he's going to sow, the, the way he's attacking the truth to bring about confusion even within our very ranks, even within the Christian church today. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 through 23. Now these verses can apply just as much to the world as it does the church, but let's hear it right now. The Bible says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. 
who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. My friends, if there is ever a truer text in all of the Bible that could very much describe the state of not just the world, but also it seems even the church sometimes, and that is it seems like that there's not any clear objective truth anymore. There's so much confusion and so much division that you've got brothers and sisters in here that are calling evil good and good evil. So much confusion, so much that, that we have people in the world today who are saying that light is darkness and darkness is light. Something that's supposed to be right is wrong. Something that's supposed to be wrong is right. And so you, you just sow that much confusion and doubt in the minds of God's people and it's going to cause confusion. And that confusion is going to bring about division. That's why Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 says very clearly, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. We live in a world today where everybody thinks that their way is right. Only because this little, this, 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 this amazing Part, part of their body, I'm just going to say that, it's amazing muscle or, or organ that's between uh, you know, their head here, in their head. Many people believe that what, what goes on up there, is that's what's most right, the way they perceive things. But my friends, just because we perceive something to be right doesn't always mean that it's right. And just because we perceive something to be wrong doesn't always mean that it's wrong. Who is to decide if something is right? Who is to determine if something is wrong? My friends, it's the word of God. It is God, the creator of the universe. But yet we are living in a world where even people today are taking this very word. They're twisting it to their own destruction and calling that which God said is right. They're calling wrong. And they're saying that which is wrong that God has clearly described and declared is wrong. They're saying it's no longer wrong. It's okay in the sight of God. Confusion. Confusion. In fact, that, uh, that scripture I read earlier in Isaiah chapter 5, it goes on to say, Woe to them, mighty, woe to the men, uh, the mighty men who drink wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. My friends, do we have a prophetic warning, a prophetic message in the three angels' messages? In fact, more specifically, the second angel's message that warns us of a harlot who has some wine that she has made the world drunk with. And you sit here today and you say, oh, but Ryan, there's, there's no way in my church, there's no way in my church that people are drunk on Babylon's wine. My friends, whoo. You see, at the very core of this dilemma is pride and selfishness. Self-deceived intoxication. Babylon's intoxicating wine causes confusion. And confusion brings about, not unity, the opposite of unity. It brings about division. Remember I said how Jesus spoke on the subject of division and how God's church must not remain divided? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. You're going to see here that Jesus has been challenged by the Pharisees. And, and they've, been, they've already accused Jesus. They said, look, this brother, he's doing all these signs and miracles and wonders by the power of the devil, Beelzebub. 
And Jesus says, what? (laughs) You think I'm doing all this by the power of Satan? I'm trying to unify the people, but yet you're accusing me of using the power of the one person who's trying to divide the people. And he goes on to say in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25 and 26, notice what the Bible says. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And then notice verse 26. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Did you catch that? Let me just go ahead and just just make it real clear. Disclaimer here. Satan's kingdom is the most divided. Satan's kingdom is divided. In fact, we know his house won't stand because the book of Revelation makes it very clear that even he knows he has but a short time. He's on a suicide mission. The devil is on a suicide mission. He knows that he has but a short time and he's going to do all that he can to take as many people out with him. And if you think he's going to take his attention off the church, that's who he has amplified his efforts to deceive and to, to attack. Because the dragon is wroth, he's mad, he's angry with the woman. That is God's church. We even see that while we know Satan's kingdom is divided, we even see this very mentality put on display in Daniel chapter 11. I'm not going to get into all the details of Daniel 11. That's a very complex chapter. But I just want to highlight the fact that there's a king of the north and a king of the south in Daniel chapter 11. Neither one of them brothers are any good. I'm just going to tell you. They both represent sin. They both represent selfishness. They both represent the world. And guess who is working both sides? And you say, Ryan, surely that don't make any sense. Why would the devil work both sides? Of course he wants to work both sides. He's on the side of the king of the north. He's on the side of the king of the south. He's working both sides because, again, his goal is to create confusion and further division. And we even see this within the story of God's chosen people of the Old Testament, Israel. It's so sad, but it's true, that the very spirit of the north and the south, that the, that the devil infused and put within that conflict of the king of the north and the south, he has infused that same spirit of the divisional north and the south within the kingdom of Israel. So much that not only do we see a physical division where we see a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, but the people that God had chose to be his representatives on earth, they were broken down and their kingdom did not stand. It fell. Why? Because the devil was working both sides. They turned their back on God. They no longer listened to the leading guiding power of God's word. And the devil came in. He caused confusion, he spread deception, and it divided God's people. Even in the days of Jesus, the nation of Israel was divided. They weren't united. In fact, you can see, interestingly enough, if you go to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, in fact, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read those verses, but I'm referencing 
John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36, Jesus is having, again, kind of a, a showdown between the, the, the people of Israel, the leadership of Israel, the Pharisees there. And he basically is having this conversation with them about Abraham. And it's interesting because he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And of course, they liked that until he started talking about Abraham. But he said, and they, they even answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Because Jesus said, said, you abide in my word, you'll be made free because the truth shall make you free. But they didn't realize that they had already been in bondage because the son of God was standing in their midst and the majority of them were rejecting him. They were rejecting the word of God. They were too caught up in the deceptions that the devil had sown amongst them. And let me tell you something. This was an ultra conservative, dogmatic, ritualistic, works approach mentality among these people that had dominated the hearts and minds of the leaders and the church during the time of Jesus. See, that brings me to my point at this point. You see, we're talking about a division. And, and usually today, especially in modern terms, when you're talking about a division in the church, most people, how they categorize an individual is based on the time that they spend around them and they hear them talk about spiritual things or they spend some time around them enough to figure out what kind of Christian they are. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time we find and we hear this language. I'm just going to say it because I'm, 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 I'll just put it out there. It's not a secret anymore. Most of the time we will categorize even a Christian as either being liberal or conservative. So not only do we do this in our church, but also it goes into the other world, goes into the political world. You know, are you liberal or conservative based on the particular values or the, the particular principles that you believe in or live by? You see, the people of Jesus's time, these, these pharisaical minded people, they weren't just conservative. They were what people, someone would call ultra conservative. They didn't have a balanced approach on how to live, to live for God. And so because of all of the deceptions that Satan was able to sow among these people, that particular nation and those people in that particular time had become what, would, what you might call an ultra-conservative, pharisaical-minded believer or followers. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 13, verses 13 through 15. Again, talking about these type of people. He says, therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn so that I should heal them. You know what Jesus is saying about this group of people here? He's saying, look, they got eyes, but they can't see. They got ears, they can't hear. I have to speak to them in a special way because if I were to speak plainly to these brothers and sisters, they wouldn't perceive it because they don't have the spiritual mind of Christ. In other words, you know what he would probably call them? Blind visionaries and dumb geniuses. Deaf listeners. Blind visionaries. Someone who thinks they're just a visionary. They see everything, they understand everything, when in reality they're blind. Someone who thinks they're a genius, they, they know it all, they see it all, they understand it all, there's nothing you can teach them, but yet in reality they're spiritually dumb. And someone who believes that their spiritual ear is so in tune with God's truth, but yet in reality they are spiritually deaf, blind visionaries, dumb geniuses, deaf listeners. 
And then you have the second group. So we just talked about the ultra-conservative group, right? Is any of this making sense? I hope this is speaking to someone. Because there was the ultra-conservative group in Jesus' day, but things begin to happen down through time. There's a little bit of a change that occurred in the church. And that's why we come to Revelation chapter 2. Jesus begins to deliver some messages to the churches. And he delivers a special message to Ephesus. But in verse 6, even though he had said, look, you've lost your first love. You need to get that first love back. In verse 6, he commended them for this one thing. Notice what it says here. Revelation 2, verse 6. It says, But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Okay, now the reason why I read that is because now we're going to get into the second group. Remember, the devil's causing division. He don't care which side of the camp you're on as long as you're on one side or the other and you remain confused, deceived, and divided. That's all he cares about. So he's got his ultra-conservatives way over here, and way over here he's working on another group. And this just happens to be Jesus illustrates them through this example of what he calls the Nicolaitans. And he commended the church of Ephesus. He said, praise the Lord. You, you, you're not bought in or deceived by this, these deeds of the Nicolaitans. But by the time he gets to the church of Pergamos, now let me remind you, in your Bible, if it has a little subheading there for that church, it has been nicknamed or called the compromising church. Now that's not good at all. So that by the time he gets to Pergamos, this is what he writes in Revelation 2, verses 12 14 through 16. So verses 12, 14 through 16. Revelation 2, this is what it says. And to the church in Pergamos write, I have a few things against you, not because you, ha you have there those who hold of the doctrine of Balaam, who, or excuse me, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. But then notice what he says in verse 15. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And then he says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. There's something about these Nicolaitans that, I mean, God uses the term of the word, the concept. He says, I hate it. I mean, when the, when the Lord of the universe says, I hate it, my friends, your ears should perk up because he's saying it about these Nicolaitans. Now, what it, who are these Nicolaitans? Well, I did some research. And if you do a little bit of research, you'll, you'll run into uh, the historians by the name of Hippolytus and Arrhenius. And this is what, according to them, according to Hippolytus and Arrhenius, who lived during these times of the time of the Nicolaitans, this is what they say. They tell us that the Nicolaitans were heretical followers of Nicholas, okay? Now, Nicholas was one of the seven deacons that was mentioned in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, okay? And, and, and if this is true, of course, Nicholas was a, one of the followers that actually apostatized from the faith. So the Nicolaitans, get this, the Nicolaitans were a group who taught a radical dualism between the body and the soul, because they believe the soul was this immortal, translucent, ghost-like thing that is liberated and separated from the body. Again, something that we know the Bible doesn't teach. But notice, based on this deceit, this deception, this confusion, they believed in this radical dualism between the body and the soul. Therefore, they taught that the believers are freed from the law and that they can do as they please. In other words, do what they please. They were friends we.
come to the end of our program, Lord. Um, friends, um, the time won't, won't allow us to continue, but I'll be back again next week to bring the second part of this program that we just heard, uh, this message. But I'll leave you with this text here. It says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3. This is to finish off our program. program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.